Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 113. It's titled, Brexit, the Euro, and the Economics of Immigration. Last week, I got an email from Ella, and she writes, I am an Aussie living in London and will be voting in the UK referendum next week. I was wondering if you had written or spoken on Brexit. Would be great to have your insight. I was a firm remain. However, as it gets closer, I am realizing the full weight of the decision. I hadn't really planned on doing an episode on the referendum in the UK, whether they should leave or stay in the European Union, primarily because I try to keep the episodes on the podcast evergreen. So if somebody's listening to this a couple years from now, it's still relevant. And I still believe, even though we talk about what's going this particular referendum, that economics and immigration will be relevant a year or two years from now. And she talks about how the decision is weighing on her, the full weight of the decision. Now, there are many different views on the, the Brexit and the ramifications of the decision, but I thought this was particularly apocalyptic. This is Donald Tusk, who is the president of the European Council. He says, why is it so dangerous? No one can foresee what the long-term consequences would be. As a historian, I fear that Brexit could be the beginning of destruction of not only the EU, but also Western political civilization. Now, there's somebody that doesn't have any idea what the long-term consequences is, except the long-term consequences could be the destruction of the European Union, if not Western political civilization. Now, I, I, I don't think that will happen. I first was introduced to Europe in June 2004. I took a train from Lausanne, Switzerland, where I'd met with some hedge fund managers. We, got a, we had a contract to do some research for, on some fund-to-fund managers, some in London, several in Switzerland. And I had a choice of flying home either out of Paris or Venice, and I chose to, to fly out of Venice as I was taking a train. And it's going to spend a very long weekend kind of just on my own walking around Venice, Italy. It was my first time in either country. I don't speak French, German, or Italian, nor did I have much time to prepare for the trip as it was booked on short notice. I, I just, when I go to a country, I try to learn at least how to say hello and perhaps goodbye, but I, I could say good morning in French and Italian. While I was there, the European football championship that was known at the time as Euro 2004 took place. I found myself caught up in the excitement 
of this sports competition, particularly after I was awoken one night in Los Angeles. I'd been there just a couple days. The airline, one of the few times I had checked my bags and they lost my baggage, so I didn't have my stuff. Finally got it, but what was fascinating, I had it probably the first night. The first night I was there, I was woken. I went to bed, I was a little jet-lagged, and I woke up about 11 to the sounds of cheers, honking cars, and other acts of celebration. The next morning, I learned that the celebration had been over the outcome of a particular football match that was part of the Euro, te- Euro 2004. But what I found amazing is Switzerland wasn't even one of the teams that had played. All that celebration over a match between the national teams of two other countries. I don't remember who was playing. I just remember it was not Switzerland, yet there was excitement in the streets. And I was intrigued by this, this solidarity across the continent over this sport. I just hadn't, I mean, I knew what football or soccer was and and I'd watched it, but I just had never really been caught up into it. But here I was. And so when I was in Venice, I'd spent the day walking around exploring, but then at night I would be in my hotel and I would watch the games for the match, even though none of the commentary was in English. That was one of the impressions I had my first trip to Europe. And, and what's, one of the takeaways from this is it, it's just really very difficult to get to know another country. All we get, we go to the first time, we, we have anecdotes, we have impressions, we, we have things that we notice that are different from where we come from. But it's really, truly hard to really get to know a country. So one of the other things that struck me on this trip was just how orderly Switzerland was. And, and perhaps it was just the area I was in, but it, it seemed that every accessible open space was organized into a garden. Gardens everywhere. If there wasn't a mountain, you have the mountains, you have the mountainside and trees, but if there wasn't trees, it seemed like there was, there was plantings. Yet as soon as the train crossed into Italy, I noticed a terrain was more laid back, a little more chaotic. There were more abandoned fields, more weeds growing in the cracks and in the cement. And it, it sounds so cliche-ish in some regard, but that was my impression. It just see, And I wondered, did I really see that? But when I returned again in, to Italy in 2013 with my family, it's just a more laid back place. But I also noticed... As we went and drove through Europe for two months this time, that one, it was just amazing to be able to go from one country to the next, not even pass through customs, because it was all part of the European Union. But I also noticed as we went into Germany, just the large variety and selection of food in that country versus Italy. And even though they were using the same currency, the, the food in Italy was just way, way more expensive. Now, those are just fleeting impressions, but I, there are differences between the countries that make up the European Union. Successful market economies need a number of ingredients, including a stable political system, good governance, minimal corrupt, corruption and bureaucracy, the rule of law where contracts are honored, a ready supply of land, educated workers, and a robust financial system, including access to investment capital. Market economies also need ambitious entrepreneurs and businesses who have the flexibility 
and capabilities to pursue economic opportunities. Successful economies also need the legal and cultural frameworks to allow for failure, to file for bankruptcy, for example. Where those ingredients are absent, then a nation's economy will underperform its potential. And if the ingredients are diluted or taken away, then an economy can be brought to its knees, as we're currently currently witnessing in Venezuela. It is absolutely, they're having riots in the street in Venezuela over food, in a country that has a huge oil reserves. And yet, because the ingredients are not being used for a growing economy, the corruption and, and episodes not in Venezuela, but when those ingredients aren't in place, then everyone suffers. But even when the basic ingredients exist, the economic outcomes can vary between countries due to how the ingredients are used and combined. I believe while countries have many similarities, they also have distinct cultures, even economic cultures. The fundamental flaw with the European Union, particularly the use of common currency in the form of the euro, is the structure ignores the differences in economic cultures. Over time, these differences can be overcome if the countries merge in the same way the individual states came together to form the United States. But they need to become even closer together, and that's just not likely to happen. The European Union is only a partial merger, and a flawed one at that. The reason is, without a complete fiscal merger, including a common banking system, a common federal government program of taxation and benefits, a common legal system, then European economic policy and culture will be dictated by the strongest economies and nations in Europe, specifically Germany. That leaves less robust economies such as Greece, Portugal, Italy, Bulgaria, and other Eastern European nations without the flexibility to set their own interest rates and to take other actions more supportive of their domestic economic situations. Meanwhile, while workers and refugees migrate to the strongest economies of Europe, placing additional stress on those nations' infrastructure and social welfare system. If anything, this referendum within the UK is a referendum on immigration. A 2030 study by the British Social Social Attitude Survey found that three-fourths of Britons want that nation's immigration policies reduced, and 56% want them reduced a lot. These countries are feeling the stress of assimilation. I saw this when I was in Stockholm last year. And we were downtown Stockholm, and it's clear there are a lot of immigrants there from from Eastern Europe, many of them begging on the streets. And I recall one woman came up to me, I think she had... Her, a baby with her and just ask for a handout. And, and and that's always an awkward situation. And there was a kebab stand and I said, well, why don't I, I buy you some food? And, and I went up to the, the stand and I, I bought some food. But I remember the, the worker at the kebab stand just sort of glaring at me, realizing I was not going to give, I was giving this kebab to one of the, the, the beggars. And, there, and it was very organized 
begging an Oslo, as I mentioned in earlier episodes. And it's a struggle in terms of assimilating these workers. But most studies show that over time, immigration leads to greater economic output as these immigrants are assimilated into the culture, but it can be very chaotic. Now, on this issue of of the UK exiting, I had a call earlier this week with Sasha Bright. He is the founder and CEO of a company called Business Agent. Agent. This is a, a marketplace, essentially an aggregator for crowdsource investing. So peer-to-peer lending, real estate, equity raising, and it's based in the UK. It's, it's, it's an alternative finance marketplace. And we, we talked a little bit about what was going on in terms of crowdsource or crowdfunding and other alternative finance in the UK, but I I took the opportunity to t- discuss the Brexit, and he's torn. He says it would be better if if the UK stayed as part of the European Union, it'd be better for its business because he wants to expand out in into Europe in, in terms of sort of having a European-wide platform. Now, right now, he can't. Right now, it has to be limited to the UK due to regulation, but he would hope to just it would it would go across all of Europe. But when he looks at it logically, he thinks the UK should leave. And he mentioned the different cultures. And the, an example he gave was when he went and purchased property in Bulgaria. And what a different experience it was, particularly because everybody wanted a cut of the deal. And he was surprised, even going into custom, there was a sign, don't bribe the customs officer. Now, you know a country... Is is works through through bribes and, and and sort of greasing the skids if if there's a sign that says don't bribe the the customs and and I remember when I was in Cuba one of the families I stayed with his brother had married somebody from Bulgaria and so he had been this this particular host had been to Bulgaria a couple times and mentioned the same thing. Just, it was a very, it's a different economic culture and, and, and perhaps it works, but it's very, very different. And, and, and his view is because of that, it, it's a challenge. He mentioned just, just trying to get his kids into schools. This was Sasha getting his kids into school that, that, that because of the, the large amount of immigrants in this case from Poland, there wasn't a spot because they hadn't built out the infrastructure. He, what I found fascinating about this conversation is because so often it's sort of the, the, this argument or, or this, this debate is it, it seems like it's the uninformed versus inf- the informed, or, or at least that's the impression we get in America. It's, it's, it's those that don't want immigration, they want to get out. But his was a well-reasoned, logically thought out. He just felt that the, the the UK was paying way more to the European Union they were getting in benefits and that in the case of the UK autonomy, it would be logically better to leave. But there's fear. There's fear of what will happen if they do leave. Everyone, it's sort of the consensus is there'll be some type of, we call it a dip, right? An economic recession if they leave. So many perhaps will vote to stay just because the fear of loss of what what would happen. 
Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. In some ways, I would just like them to vote to stay because of the uncertainty from just putting on my investment hat. I hate to invest in an environment, and I really disliked it when I was a professional money manager, these, these one-off decisions, it's, it's yes or no, and the unknown of what's going to happen. As I, that earlier quote by Donald Tusk, nobody knows the long-term consequences. And sometimes just for the sake of continuity, we don't want change because investment markets hate change. And, and I'm like, most investors, I just don't like volatility. But should they stay or go? I found a study by the National Institute of Economic and Social Research. This is Britain's longest established independent research institute founded in 1938. I'll link to the study in the show notes, which you can get at moneyfortherestofus.net. That's also you can sign up for my insider's guide. And I'll email those show notes to you on a weekly basis, free on the email, includes a, a summary article of that week's episode, as well as other valuable content. If you're a U.S.-based listener, you can sign up for that by just texting the word INSIDER to the number 44222. 
Well, this study said that between 1990 and 2015, the number of international migrants worldwide increased from 153 to 244 million. Immigration is ongoing and increasing. During that same period, so between 1990 and 2015, net migration in the UK increased from under 50,000 to over 300,000 per year. The proportion of immigrants among people of working age has increased from 8% of the population in 1995 to 17% in 2014. And so when you have that many immigrants, the the natural conclusion or the, the question is, does it have an impact on employment and wages of the native workers? And the study said, and quoted a number of other studies, there's there is a large and growing body of literature on the impact of migration on the UK's economy. The two areas that attract the most attention are the effects on the labor market and public finances. The consensus among the researchers studying the impact of migration on the labor market seems to be that immigrants do not have strong effect on labor market outcomes of native workers. The studies that they looked at showed none on unemployment, And the impact on wages is mainly the new immigrants were impacting the wages of the immigrants, the the other new immigrants. There was some impact on low semi-skilled workers of both native and non-native laborers. But generally speaking, in terms of massive impact on wages and unemployment, the immigrants weren't having an impact. Ultimately, they were, having, they were allowing the economy to, to grow faster. And the UK was one of the lowest growing economies in the G7 prior to them joining the European Union. Now they're one of the fastest growing. Now, is it because they're part of the European Union or are there other things? Going back to that same study, it says in, in the most comprehensive study on the fiscal effect of immigrants, so this was the effect on public financing, Finances. The study by Dustin, Dustman and Frattini computed the net fiscal contribution of the different population groups for each year between 1995 and 2011. They found that the contribution of recent immigrants, those who arrived after 1999, had been consistently positive. Recent immigrants contributed 34% more to the fiscal than they took out. In other words, 30% more went into government taxes, paid into the system, then they took out. And and so even on a fiscal standpoint, the the immigrants, because that's one of the one of the big issues with all immigration, whether they're getting they're taking before they're putting in. Well this these particular studies show that no, that was not the case. One of the other arguments for leaving is is the UK pays more into the European Union than they get out. And that, that's absolutely true. The UK last year paid in 12.9 billion pounds, about 200 pounds for every person. Now, they paid more than that, but they get a rebate. And they took out, they received about 6 billion pounds a year. And so this was according to an article in the UK Telegraph. And so it is true that the, European, that the UK pays more than they get out. So does Germany, so does Italy, so does France. And then most of the other countries are getting more benefits 
than they put in. And that's just the nature of unions. The strongest economies are always going to pay more. But the argument for leaving is the UK could better spend that money elsewhere. The paper also compared two migration scenarios, one where the UK left the European Union and one where they remained. And they found, and this was, this was usually a macroeconomic model where they sort of agent-based models, they concluded by 2065 in the leave scenario, aggregate gross domestic product and gross domestic product per person are 9% and 1% respectively lower compared to the remain scenario. Reduced migration after leaving the European Union has a negative impact on the public finances because of higher dependency ratio. In other words, more retirees compared to workers because the flow of immigration has stopped. Now, the UK could continue to have a welcoming immigration policy even if they left the European Union. And and this is where I'm sort of torn. If I was a UK resident, would I vote to, to stay or to leave? And I'm just not sure I have an answer to that because I see a flaw within the European Union in terms of the countries are so dissimilar that there will always be the haves and the have-nots in terms of the, the stronger or the weaker countries. And, and this is a lot, the, the analogy I use, it's just a lot like a marriage. When you have two partners that are they're completely very dissimilar, very unlike each other, and they're having conflicts, the choice is to separate or to come closer together. And, and, to, and perhaps there's still differences, but they just be, they merge more together and they get along better. And, and I don't see the European Union coming together in terms of fiscally, fis, fiscally or in terms of other economic areas. And as a consequence, the European Union will always be a flawed partnership because the respective countries that use the euro have, are essentially using a foreign currency. They have given up their economic independence in terms of their flexibilities to use monetary policy, to adjust interest rates, to use fiscal policy to stimulate when their economies are suffering. They don't have all the tools in the toolkit that somebody like the UK actually has because they're a member of the European Union, but they have maintained their currency sovereignty. And, and as a result, the UK gets the best of both worlds. They get access, free access to the market. They, yes, they're paying more in than the benefits they get, but they have benefited from the immigration over the long term and will continue to benefit from it. So if somebody is voting to leave because of immigration issues, I think that is a poor decision. If you're voting to leave because you believe the European experiment is flawed because the countries will never come together and you think it's unfair for these weaker economies or these small economies not to have financial independence or economic independence in in terms of the tools or that the countries are just culturally just too different in terms of the economy, then that, that, in my mind, that's a more logical reason to vote to leave. I am pro-immigration. I have seen the benefit in the U.S. And it's a huge issue in the U.S. presidential election this year, as you know, in terms of 
building a wall. I have been on the border. I've lived on the border. I've known individuals when I lived in Mexico that left to go to the United States. Why do they go? They go because they want economic opportunity, because the ingredients are not available in their own country to the degree that they would like. They're not going to get a free ride. They're going for economic opportunity. And if that opportunity is not there, then they don't come. That's just the way the flow of migration works. Here in Idaho, we have 4,000 guest workers, primarily working in agriculture, working in areas, moving irrigation pipe, and working farms, making $11.75 an hour. They get transportation to the country. They get housing. They get one meal a day. They get their workers' compensation insurance paid. And these are the same jobs that are made available to U.S. residents and they go unfilled. So we bring in guest workers, and it's a system that works. Immigration allows countries to be more viable. It ultimately brings in more workers, provides more flexibility, and leads to greater economic output, economic growth. But it is chaotic, and it's messy, and it's scary, and people feel threatened. But at the end of the day, it's just like anything with the economy. It, it's messy, but it can work and have a benefit. That's episode 113. As I mentioned, you can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.net. Thank you for supporting the show, for your feedback, for leaving reviews on iTunes. I often get emails from listeners that ask some version of this question, how should I go about managing my investment portfolio. Should I hire someone? Should I use a robo-advisor? Should I do it all on my own? Now, I can't answer their question directly via email because that would be investment advice and I'm not a registered investment advisor. But here's what I think you should do. I don't think you should hire someone to manage your money on an ongoing basis. I think you have the skill set to be able to do that, to structure a portfolio, to do the asset allocations. Because, and I don't think you should hire, some, hire someone because the fees are just too high to pay. An advisor, 1%, 1.5% to manage your money when investment returns are so low just doesn't make economic sense. Yet, that's not to say financial advisors can't be helpful. If you hire an advisor to go do a comprehensive financial plan, I think you should do it on a project basis, get their best thinking, and go from there. I also don't think you should manage your money completely on your own. Going solo can be overwhelming and lead to emotion-driven decisions. You need a mentor, a guide, or coach, someone who can help you separate what is important in investing from all the noise, hype, and opinion. You need tools to help you structure your portfolio and invest more confidently. A framework for analyzing market conditions so you're not a blind risk taker, a place where you can get answers to your questions. That's what the Money for the Rest of Us hub is. It's a place to to help you exceed in this second career we all have as asset managers, managing assets in preparation for our retirement. My role is as a sweet spot between going it alone and hiring an investment advisor to manage your money. I see myself as a curator I sift through the reams of economic and market data and development and the investment products and opinions and share with you what is most important 
what works, and what matters. And you can get more information for that at moneyfortherestofushub.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education only. I have not considered your specific situation. I've not provided investment advice. Simply general education on money, investments, and the economy. Have a great week.